This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode, we have questions from Julian, Caleb F., Tim, Lydia, and an unsigned chronicler. First, we'll tackle a few serious questions, then we'll look at this episode's big question, and we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. Let's start with our serious questions. Our first question comes from Julian, who asks, If death is bad, is it a sin to kill and eat animals? This is a perceptive question, Julian, because it does seem to follow some biblical logic, right? If death really is a consequence of sin, then wouldn't it be sinful to cause the death of another creature? Wouldn't it be wrong to kill things just to eat them? And yet, I think we can say definitively that it is not a sin to kill an animal. How? Because God does it. In the Bible, he clothes Adam and Eve with animal skins. He destroys animals in the flood. He commands the sacrifice of animals. In the Levitical system, animals would be sacrificed on the altar and then eaten by the priests. So it seems to be possible to do something that wouldn't be permitted or even possible in a perfect world, and yet not be guilty of sin. For example, God forbids murder, the unjust taking of a human life, but permits the just taking of a human life, as punishment for some crimes, for example, or in legitimate self-defense. Yet, there would be no need to punish crimes or to defend yourself in a world without sin. Another example would be if one animal killed and ate another. That wouldn't happen in a world without sin, and yet God doesn't say that lion is guilty of eating that lamb and ought to be punished. Animals do things that are a consequence of living in a sinful world, yet the guilt of that action doesn't attach to them. In the same way, human actions are distinguished. Some are sinful, others are permitted, and killing and eating animals is one of the latter. That's not to say that some killing and eating isn't sinful. The Bible does place limits on this. For example, the forbidding of the consumption of blood, which the Jerusalem Council in Acts actually upholds. And now Caleb F. asks, did any of the demons Jesus cast out possess other people? Not that we know of, Caleb. The Bible famously mentions demons being cast out and entering into pigs, but I don't recall any cases where a demon was cast out of one person and then entered another. I'm not saying that in theory something like this couldn't have happened, As we'll soon see in Matthew 12, Jesus describes a similar situation where an unclean spirit leaves a person and then later comes back with seven other spirits or even worse. Still, I don't think this is something that would happen if Jesus had cast out those spirits. His action of casting out is a kind of judgment on them. Uh, The demons who enter the pigs actually try to bargain with him to avoid their fate. That's how they end up going into the pigs. It's not like a normal thing when that happens, and it doesn't work out the way they think it will. The Bible depicts Jesus' actions, whether it's casting out of demons or delivering people from demon possession, as a definitive act. 
Now it's time for the big question. Our big question this week comes from Tim. Let's give Tim a round of applause. Here's Tim's question. In the beginning, why did God make one tree that you can't eat from? Why couldn't he make all trees that you can eat from? Why did there have to be a rule no eating from a certain fruit? Well, Tim, let me start out by making one overall point, which is this. When God reveals in Scripture the things that he's done, he rarely explains himself. Now, this is true in the Genesis account, but not just there. The Bible doesn't typically say, here's what God did, and let me give you the reasons why. It doesn't rationalize or seek to justify God's actions. It doesn't explain why things had to be one way and couldn't be the other. As a result, whenever you ask yourself, why did God do this instead of that? Or why didn't God just say one thing instead of the other? The best you can do is guess. And the best guesses are the ones that try to do justice to the character of God as he reveals himself in Scripture. Now, I understand what you're thinking. If the problem of sin came from eating the forbidden fruit, and the fruit was forbidden because God made a rule about it, then couldn't sin have been avoided either by not putting that tree there in the first place, or if you're going to put it there, by not making it forbidden? Putting that deadly tree in the garden with Adam and Eve feels a little bit like a parent leaving kids home alone with a fully stocked refrigerator to eat from and then saying, don't drink out of that bottle because that's poison. Why would you put the poison there in the first place? But these are questions the Bible doesn't entertain. So when it comes to the garden, we have to look at the results in order to understand why God ordered things the way that he did. If there was a rule that needed to be kept and a punishment for breaking that rule, then there must also have been a reward for keeping the rule. All of God's covenants in Scripture work this way. A relationship is established, and there are punishments for unfaithfulness and rewards for faithfulness. The garden seems to have been created as a kind of model to reveal this reality to us, a reality that's often hidden in our everyday lives. So, the reward for faithfulness in the garden was life and glory. If human beings had kept the rule, they would have achieved that higher state through their obedience. Instead, they disobeyed and received the penalty, which was estrangement from God, ultimately death. But when we have faith in Jesus, we receive the reward that Adam lost. Because the Bible says Jesus is the last Adam. He does what Adam failed to do, and he leads us where Adam failed to lead us. In Romans 5, Paul explains the work of Jesus by comparing him to Adam. In fact, it's fair to say that without knowing Adam's story in the garden, we wouldn't be able to understand the fullness of Jesus' work on the cross. Now, what I'm about to say is going to be a little mind-blowing because it seems a little strange to us as human beings. But perhaps one reason the garden was the way that it was was because it would need to help explain what would happen at the cross. As I say, that makes no sense to us chronologically, but God does this sort of thing all the time. As the author of Hebrews reveals, there are things that God did in the Old Testament, real physical events, actual history, that ultimately existed 
in order to symbolize what was going to happen in the future. Now, that might help explain some of the mysteries of the garden. God created a historical reality that would ultimately become a picture for us of the fundamental problem of sin, and then would give us a way of comprehending not only the problem, but also the solution. Because so much of this spiritual reality is beyond human perception, God gave it to us in concrete terms. He made a place and gave that place a structure and ordained events that happened there, all of it to help us grasp something that otherwise we would have no way of thinking about apart from just abstractions. Now, naturally, that doesn't answer all of your questions, or mine for that matter, but it does give us a way of doing what we talk about every week on The Big Question, which is being at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. Really, it's as simple as this. The way God did things was the right way, the best way, even if we can't explain why or how, because it was God who did them. He may not reveal all his reasons to us, but he does reveal who he is, which means we can trust that whether we understand or not, it was for our good. Before we close, let's look at a few fun questions. First, Lydia wants to know, when Noah was on the boat, did God provide food for his family and the animals, or did they bring food? Great question, Lydia. I went back and looked at Genesis 6, just to be sure, and yes, the Bible does answer this one. In Genesis 6, verse 21, God says, Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them meaning the animals. What that means is, in addition to preparing for the flood by building the ark and gathering the animals, Noah was also instructed to gather and store provisions to keep them all fed. So you might say God provided and they brought food because God provided by warning Noah and giving him the right instructions to follow, which Noah did so that he could provide for the needs on the ark. That's often the way that God works. He knows we will have needs, so he provides for them by equipping us in advance. He gives us talents to develop, skills to use, responsibilities to fulfill, callings in our life, so that we can make money and buy food. But we don't tell ourselves, God didn't feed me, I fed myself. Because God provided everything that allows us to meet our needs. Our final question is from an unsigned chronicler who asks, what was your worst fear as a child? Hmm. Well, this is a good reminder to all of you to sign your youth chronicle before turning it in. You want to be mentioned by name when your question is featured on The Big Question. So this question about my worst fear as a child, to me, it doesn't sound like a big question so much as it is a trick question. If I tell you what my worst fear was, then you'll try to inflict it on me. If I say my worst fear was being eaten by alligators, then you'll trap a baby alligator in the wild, you'll let him grow up in your bathtub, and when he's grown, you'll sneak him into church and release him in the middle of a sermon. I will panic because this is my worst childhood fear, and everybody will laugh at me, although hopefully they won't laugh as I'm being eaten by an alligator. So, since I know that this is a trick, let me think about the right way to answer. Hmm. Okay, my worst fear as a child was that people would 
take the treats that they earned by completing the Youth Chronicle and give them to me to eat. I'm just terrified of having those treats forced on me, so please, whatever happens, do not try to give me your rewards. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. Never be afraid to ask, and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will stand up to scrutiny. Until next time, keep asking the big questions.